from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. The customer expectation is completely changing these days. The market is changing. Some of these technologies are getting ridiculously cost-effective. Chris Eukster is Chief Operating Officer at CPS Energy. He spoke with Val Jensen, Senior Vice President of Customer Operations at ComEd, along with Penny McLean O'Connor, Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for Eversource Energy. They sat down with Lisa Francis, the Senior VP of Advanced Energy Economy, at the Verge 2017 conference in Santa Clara, California, to discuss the changing role that utility companies are playing in the clean energy revolution. Let's listen in. So the, we've heard already that there's tremendous change unfolding in the power sector, which we all know, digitization, incorporation of distributed energy resources, which is changing business model and rate design reform. And at Advanced Energy Economy, uh, I lead a, the 21st century electricity system where we bring the CEOs together with the regulators and advanced energy companies to talk about how we can adapt to rate designs and business models. And we actually launched three weeks ago um, the Advanced Energy Buyers Group. So we're bringing Walmart, Microsoft, Salesforce, Amazon, some of the big players, as well as others, to meet with utilities to talk about how they can better meet their renewable energy targets. And I think 71 of the 100, Fortune 100 companies now have renewable targets, and this is growing continually throughout the U.S. And so, Penny, I think I'm going to ask the first question to you. You know, given that the utilities and the customers, potentially their role is changing, given technology changes, rate design, business model changes, what's your perspective on how that might unfold moving forward? I think it has two real important transformations that are occurring. I, from the perspective that our customers are looking for customized and holistic solutions. And that is opposed to one-size-fits-all solutions that we were providing and very singular solutions around just energy delivery. So case in point, I just met with Mass General Hospital. They're looking at building uh, a new children's hospital, having a centralized focus. And that building, this green building, net zero energy use, that's table stakes. They're looking for not only energy efficient with sustainable uh, energy solutions right built into the building, but they're also looking for a green habitat built there because it helps with the healing environment for these children and for these parents. And so they're looking for a holistic solution. The difference is we're in the room now, even before the building has been designed, working with them to design a solution that will meet their holistic needs. So they're looking for customized and a holistic energy solution. Chris, what's from your perspective on the yeah. uni side? How do you yeah. see? So, Lisa, I would say, you know, we talk about utility of the future. Our customers want the utility of the future today. Uh, you know, they want a cleaner energy mix. A lot of our customers want 100% renewables, especially the corporate customers. They have a sustainability mission to them. They want to actually tie to a specific solar farm or a specific wind farm. Um, and there's a role with the utility and that customer to kind of create uh, a way to give them what they're looking for and also, like Penny was saying, you know, provide value-added services on top of that, whether that's behind the meter or that's balancing because, because you can't run that data center 100% on solar or wind. So there's, there's an opportunity to put a win-win partnership together between the utility and the customer to get where they want to go to. 
So getting, sort of following through on that role of the public-private partnership, I mean, to meet some of these targets, Val, maybe you can comment a little bit more on what is the role of public partnerships moving forward? Is it going to be more significant and more critical to helping the corporates meet their renewable targets moving forward? Uh, well, yes. Um, and, and to back up a second, I, I think the, the context for this is pretty important, at least from our perspective. And while I tend to sound like I speak for the industry, it's important to understand that this industry is structured in many different ways. And so what I may be suggesting works for us may well not work for somebody who's an integrated utility somewhere else. But I think the, the way that we look at it begins with the recognition that this industry is being washed over by some pretty powerful truths that regardless of whether you want to believe in them are going to result in a more decentralized, distributed, democratic ecology for the, the utility business that renders the existing business model obsolete, if not dead, and requires us to rethink what that model is going to look like. And I think a lot of the people in this room and, and my colleagues in the industry have thought that that new model resembles a platform in, in some respects. A platform derives its value from maximizing the number of things that somebody can do on that platform. An open platform is better than a closed platform. If you have an open platform, you need partners to come on to that platform to do two things for you. One is to help you build it. We're not particularly good at, at envisioning and building things that allow third parties to transact with us. But more importantly, we need people to develop new products and services that can extract value from this platform for our customers. We don't necessarily participate in a way other than as a curator for that second sort of set of products and services, but, but having people who have the vision and the creativity to come up with those new products and services is essential for us to survive. So you touched on the platform a little bit. Um, can you talk a little bit, maybe Chris as well, um, you know, as, as, as the customer wants to interface much more with the utility, you need two-way power flow, you need potentially more software and additional infrastructure to make that happen. Is the infrastructure adequate to help serve the needs of the corporates and the consumers? Uh, I mean, I think absolutely, and I think that's where, we're, where, where we are putting our capitals on the grid. In the old days, it was all about building that, that next power plant, the next billion dollar plant. Now we're redirecting capital to the grid. We're putting advanced meter infrastructure in. We're putting distributed automation in place. So we're putting metering technology. We're putting decision-making kind of algorithms throughout our network to make sure that we can transact in two ways with our customers. And I, I, I think Chris is right in, in what he means by the infrastructure being adequate. I would answer it slightly differently and say absolutely not. Our infrastructure is not adequate in that we don't have the, the mechanism, the interface to allow our customers to fully engage with us. And I think I, I challenge part of your, your, your question, Lisa, and say I don't think customers want to engage with the utility at all. They want to engage with each other. They want to engage with other suppliers. Um, they want to use our network. That doesn't necessarily mean they want to engage with me. And so I think the success of our model going forward requires that I understand that the folks in this room may not care very much about me as a, as a utility, but they care very much about access to my network. Well, let's talk a little bit about what maybe these guys care about, which is what are the opportunities that the 21st century electricity system might provide for corporates and consumers? 
Well, I think the 21st century uh, grid provides many opportunities. Part of what, what we're investing in the grid now is distribution management systems that allow us to create the portals and provide the data. I heard all morning, sat in sessions all morning here, about the need for data so consumers can make the right decisions about their energy usage. And so how can we create and provide that, inf that information and services around that so they can make the wise decisions that create a sustainable energy future? I mean, I, I agree with that. I think there is a public-private partnership. So the utility is very good at long-term planning, uh, risk management, setting a standard, providing reliable power power to the to the you know sixth, ninth, 99.99 percent, and a lot of a lot of the innovation that's happening in the private sector. There is risk with that, and you know between innovators and the utility, I think we can come up with a very compelling value prop proposition to our customers. And so I, I think it really does take both mindsets to bring what we need to to our customers. So I guess the other question is, are we moving fast enough? I know the utilities have been criticized, I think, for not moving quickly enough on this issue, yet they're sort of creatures of the regulatory process. And, you know, do you feel that the, the regulators are driving this, or are they actually the ones that might be creating some of the obstacles? And I, I don't know if one of you, you wanted know, to take that. I've thought a lot about that question, and I actually think that regulators with a vision can really create the stage that then, that then it's incumbent on us as utilities and other partners, uh, whether it's the cities or the advocates, to, to be the actors on that stage to make it real. And let me give you a case in point. In 2007, Massachusetts led with the Green Communities Act, where it identified using energy efficiently as the first fuel. We saw our energy efficiency programs quadruple in a period of four years. They are building you know, the equivalent of, of 750 megawatt power plants every three years in what we're delivering in savings by using energy efficiently. That didn't happen just because legislation put, was put into place. It happened because the stage was set with the legislation and then the utilities, our various stakeholders came together and worked jointly to create the solutions that consumers can engage with. And that's why we're getting the savings that we're getting. Chris, what's your perspective on it? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think all parties have to come together to make it work for our customers. Our customers are definitely demanding this of us. Uh, you know, we don't benchmark ourselves to other utilities. We benchmark ourselves to Amazon or Southwest Airlines. You know, the customer expectation is completely changing these days. The market is changing. Some of these technologies are getting ridiculously cost effective. So there's just a lot of momentum there. And I think regulators, you know, they, they've got a tough job to kind of, you know, put the, the rules in place to enable all this. But we, we see their, their appetite and their intent for doing it. You know, they want to. They want to help figure this thing out. And, and part of that is working together to come up with, with the right set of, of, of rules and regulations for the industry. I think a challenge with that, Lisa, is that I think the average tenure of a, a state regulator is three years, yeah. maybe, <laughs> at the outside. And these things take longer than that to, to sort out and to put in place a stable foundation. So I'm not sure it's in anybody's advantage to have really aggressive regulators who are going out and changing policy on average every three years. I think what's important is that they come to the debate with an open mind and can create the opportunity for us to move ahead. I don't think we have to have big shifts in policy, but they have to be willing to consider things that as a, as, as a, as a group of stakeholders and utilities we can agree would be the things that we need to move forward. With. So I think at best we want regulators who are open, who are willing to listen to both, willing to listen to both sides, and are not necessarily out to change the world.
And by the way, we agree with you at AEE. I think we, we know that the commissioners typically leave every three years. One of the things we, we've been trying to do, we actually just held a forum in Michigan where we're trying to bring the staff to some of these sessions. We held a PUC commissioner forum, but we're now bringing the staff in because they typically stay forever, right? So we want to really educate them as well as the commissioners on some of these critical issues. Um, I do want to shift a little to transportation. You know, everybody's been talking about electrifying cars and taking fossil fuel vehicles off the road. Do you believe that electrifying transportation will help corporates meet or help you meet some, helping the corporates meet some of their targets? I think it helps all sectors meet mm -hmm. the targets, not only internally with our fleet, but then the consumers. And this is a great example, Lisa, of where we're seeing the public private partnership come into play. So we've had Maven approach us in the city of Boston as a target market for them. They want to bring a fleet of electric community ride-sharing vehicles to the Boston area. But to do that, they need infrastructure. There's not enough electrical vehicle charging. We heard that earlier as we heard about Ray's Highway. You got to put the infrastructure in place. We have proposed to put that infrastructure in place. And, but we need help from the city of Boston to find the locations to put this infrastructure in place. So this is a great example of we need regulators to approve the regulation, put the, put the regulation in place. We've, we've approached uh, our regulators about that. We need the city of Boston to help us find the locations, and we need a partner like Maven to bring in the, the, the great insight for community ride sharing and make that model possible. And that's what we're doing in Boston right now. Anybody else want yeah, to comment I, I on? agree. I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity in electric vehicles to decarbonize our, our society. So, I mean, you look at, you know, the utility industry has a big carbon footprint, but the transportation sector has an even bigger one. And so if we can electrify that and, and run that off Texas solar and Texas wind, I mean, that's, that's huge for us in Texas. And so uh, I think there's just a huge opportunity to both attack the carbon issue as well as you know, give the consumers what they want, which is, you know, a higher performance vehicle. And I don't know that I really disagree, but we can't have everybody sort of saying the same thing on this panel. So I will, I will point out that there's like a it. hydrogen Fuel vehicle. A <laughs> there's a hydrogen vehicle parked in the, the exhibit room. And I think we've all concluded for whatever reason that, that we're going to electrify this economy. I don't know that that's the right thing. And so I think if my customers are coming to me saying, this is what I want to do, then consistent with this platform business model, I want to be able to find ways to enable that. Um, but there are a lot of people in my industry who've decided that electrification is going to solve all their problems. As far as I'm concerned, it's not going to solve my problem. My load is never going to grow above zero again. Um, electric vehicles or not. Maybe I'll get to build some rate base if people electrify, but that's not... You know, there are certain issues, I think Van Jones pointed some of this out, there, there are social justice issues with how we approach some of this, in that most of these electric vehicles are being driven by people um, who don't represent probably the majority of my customers. And so I feel the need to be just a little bit more cautious in, in the jump to electrification is going to solve all of our problems. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I want to jump now a little bit. We've got a nice mix of utilities here. Um, municipal utilities, MIOUs. Chris, maybe comment a little bit. What is the main difference that you see between your experience in dealing with the customer or the consumer from a muni perspective versus an IOU? You know, I think there's probably a lot of similarities between the two, but, you know, our shareholder is the city, is a community, and so we take a very long-term perspective on what we're doing for our community. We're not so much focused on, on quarterly results, per se. 
uh, you know, we, 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 we need to be very, very aligned with our community. Not, not that IOUs don't also need to be aligned, but I think being a municipally owned utility, there's that added alignment that we have to have with our community. And I, th I think that gives us a little bit of an advantage in terms of being, having a long-term perspective. So if we have to make a decision about putting 500 megawatts of solar that prices out over 10 years or 15 years, we can do that deal versus having to kind of worry about what the, what the hit on the earnings are for the next year or the next couple of years. Anybody else want to comment? Well, I think that from the, so the difference is, and what Chris gets to do in San Antonio, he's got all of that infrastructure there, all the aspects of the municipality so you can align those and integrate those. Whereas as Eversource, we've got to create those partnerships with each one of those municipalities and understand their unique needs. And Springfield, Massachusetts and Hartford, Connecticut and Boston are all three very different locations who have very different goals and we need to understand those and so it requires us to ensure that that we are tightly aligned with each of those and then customizing our solutions to meet their needs okay thanks so you know i'm looking at many of the folks around this table and even around uh, the corporate entities who are looking at their targets for renewable many of them are setting even 100 percent renewables targets large amounts throughout the U.S. we're seeing in terms of what that translates to into hundreds of megawatts for some corporations. You know, can the utilities alone provide that to the consumers or the corporates, or are we going to have to go elsewhere for meeting some of those demands? I think from our perspective, yes, absolutely. And I'm going to go to the sidebar. Absolutely, yes, we want, to, we want to provide those services for our customers. All of our additional growth is coming from, you know, being supplied by solar, wind, demand response, energy efficiency. We're not building any ex extra uh, power plants. In fact, we're running about half, of, half as much coal as we did five, six years ago. We're going to uh, retire two coal units next year. So all of our growth from a supply standpoint to serve these customers that want 100% renewables is coming from renewables. That same with... Yeah, and in, in my case, absolutely not, because to my <laughs> earlier point, uh, we're, we don't supply power. We just, we run the wires, and wherever you happen to buy it from, we'll, you know, we'll make sure it gets through your meter. Um, so our challenge is a little bit different. I wish I'd, I could do what Chris does. I can't solve that problem for my customers. And so I actually need them to come to me and explain how I could help them with this problem, because I cannot buy and resell power as a distribution utility. So similar to Val, uh, at Eversource, we uh, are in a competitive marketplace, so we don't own generation. But we do and are, in, are, are passionate that we need uh, sustainable energy solutions and that uh, utility scale uh, sustainable uh, solutions are, are very cost effective. And so we've chosen to work around that by we we announced a partnership with dong energy they do offshore wind we're very excited about uh, working with them to bring offshore wind to uh, the new england coast uh, not only to uh, that will benefit the entire region we're working with hydro quebec to uh, bring transmit clean hydro down into the load center so uh, we're we're working from that angle but similar to val we also don't own generation so Elaine, I'm going to turn to you on the sidebar to see if we have some questions from the audience. Yeah, we're getting a lot of questions. Um, I think we're going to hone in a little bit on our poll that we conducted online informally. It's not super scientific, but um, it did, we did ask, what is your organization's relationship with your local utility? Um, and 
Over half, 54.5% uh, said they had no relationship with their utility. Um, but actually 45.5% uh, said that it was friendly and 0% said it was adversarial. So it's really interesting in terms of our online audience. Um, to that point, you're gonna need relationships with your customers. Um, and typically, you don't you didn't have to have relationships, I think. And given how distributed our grid is becoming, all this additional introduction of new technologies and behaviors, um, a couple of questions. So one of them is, <laughs> this is an interesting one, saying that one person said, many utility executives and middle managers don't sound like the people on the panel. What changed for you guys as speakers <laughs> to get here, and how do you move others in this direction? <laughs> Any takers? Yeah, I, right um, I don't come from the utility industry. I spent, you know, I've been doing this for quite a long time, as is obvious from my, my picture. But I started out uh, with a degree in, in uh, master's degree in public policy and always wanted to work in public policy and spent most of my career actually doing that. So I came here kind of through the back door. Um, and you won't find this funny. I find it funny, but you probably don't. The utility that I work for is a utility that I used to loathe. <laughs> when I was in the, in the public sector, and I used to fight this company constantly. So I, I had a chance to come inside, and I thought it was just a chance to see what was in the belly of the beast. I didn't expect to, to find a happy home here, which I actually have done, because I think we're in this fascinating time today uh, when this industry is being rebuilt. ComEd is actually the, the first utility to be built in the current business model that Sam Insel uh, developed in Chicago last century, two centuries ago, actually. Um, and we're at the cusp of turning that business model over and, and dumping it into the grave with old Sam and building something completely new, which I think is really exciting, and it's going to require very different kinds of people. So I got lucky. I walked into a place that could have kicked me out, and they were actually very welcoming to some of the thoughts that I've had about how we need to find different ways to conduct business with our customers and our constituents. You know, I'm not surprised by what you found out on the poll because we're increasingly finding that our transactions with our consumers are digital. So our challenge is to figure out how we connect with consumers while they're in that moment, whether they're on our website or on others. And so I was thrilled to, to hear some of the partners we work with, like Ecobee, talking about how they're creating that moment, creating that engagement with consumers in their home, and then we're able to provide information that allows consumers to, to use their energy more wisely. So I'm not surprised by that. As far as the reputation of utilities, I just don't think folks have met enough uh, utility folks. I find that the world, the, the utilities are recognizing the world is transforming, and I personally think this is the best time to be part of a utility. It is so exciting. I'm, I'm really enjoying every minute of it right now. I mean, I would just say I, I think uh, things are changing very, very fast in the utility sector. Uh, I think five, six years ago, a lot of utilities had their head in the sand. They just, you know, just, the renewable stuff's not going to happen, not going to happen. I think you go to conferences, EEI, you go EPRI, people get it, people are excited about it. Now it's like the sales cycle may be a little bit longer for the utility sector than other sectors, but once a utility makes a decision, once they pilot a technology, there's huge scale opportunities there. And I, and I think, like Penny said, there's, there's an excitement in this industry that wasn't there even five, six years ago. So I think times are changing. Uh, please be patient with us. <laughs> well, then I want to just thank Chris, Val, and Penny for a wonderful panel. Thank, thank you. you so much.
You've been listening to Chris Eukster of CPS Energy, Val Jensen of ComEd, and Penny McLean Connor of Eversource Energy in conversation with Lisa Francis at the Verge 2017 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.